Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Wes McAdams. Here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. Today, I'll be talking to my friend Jacob Hawk about evangelism. Jacob, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Wes. Good to be with you. I'm excited about this conversation. Have you have you done the podcast before? Not with you, no. Oh man, I'm we're not sorry good enough friends. So I don't guess. Yeah. <laughs> and now you live in the area, so we were able to do this in person. That's so. right. Yeah. I'm super excited. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking about evangelism because you have a, a workshop. Is that mm-hmm. the right? We uh, do. We have an evangelism conference at Preston Crest in February of 2023. Fantastic. So we'll talk more about that at the end, but. Let's just kind of talk in general about evangelism. First of all, that word even itself mm-hmm. might be a little intimidating or scary for people. What are some of the, I mean, how would, how would you define evangelism? Part of that. And then part of it is too, is is what misunderstandings or myths do sometimes people have about evangelism? Yeah, good question. How would I define evangelism? Like you said, it sounds a lot more intimidating than it really is. Uh, breaking it down to the nuts and bolts, evangelism is nothing more than just leading someone to Jesus, getting them engaged in the mission of God, uh, helping them find something in their life that they don't already have, Mm -hmm. obeying the Great Commission. I think you could pick any of those definitions to properly define evangelism. Of course, it has the connection to the Greek word itself, but for most people, that doesn't matter. It's just getting people engaged in making disciples and leading people into a closer relationship with God. And the second question you asked me, what are some myths or, or misunderstandings? Yeah. Well, there's probably more myths and misunderstandings than definitions, but mm-hmm. I think the biggest myth is that evangelism is something that takes place in a church building. Mm. In fact, I would say most of the time it does not take place in a church building, Evangelism is not something for paid staff or for church leaders per se. It's something that Jesus asked all of his disciples to be involved in. Clearly, he gives the apostles the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and you know Luke and John also have their own remembrance of that event, but it's something that Jesus wants everyone to be involved in. And so uh, evangelism is something that takes place outside the walls of the church building. And so if we limit evangelism to what takes place inside our facilities, then we're never going to be an evangelistic church. Mm-hmm. Uh, another myth is that you have to be a great theologian or a great scholar or know Greek words mm-hmm. or uh, be able to quote a bunch of verses from memory. Evangelism begins with relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't lead someone to Christ effectively that you don't know personally. You may get them interested in the idea of Jesus through a sermon or a Bible class, uh, but real conversion, the process of making a disciple, which Jesus talks about, again, is not something for the theologically elite or highly trained or qualified. It's just something for everyone who believes in Jesus. 
When you've mentioned Jesus several times, and I and I and you even mentioned the fact that evangelism is a transliteration of the Greek, and the root there is euangelion. Mm-hmm. It's the good news, mm-hmm. the good news about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, at its at its very core, evangelism is talking about Jesus. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, we could spend quite a bit of time thinking about this, that I think, especially for those of us in Churches of Christ, that when we think about evangelism, sometimes it wasn't just, we we don't even specifically think about telling people about Jesus. It's more like inviting people to our particular church. Mm -hmm. um, And we kind of began so many sort of evangelistic conversations, assuming that people already knew about Jesus, assuming that they were probably already churchgoers, that they had some understanding of the Bible or the New Testament, and that they already understood about Jesus and about his death and atonement and all of those things. And we sort of assumed that. And then we said, well, okay, but but let me explain more more fully about some of these things like baptism and, and worship and things. Mm-hmm. And so our form of evangelism for the last 50 years has revolved around getting people to come to our particular church rather than specifically telling people about Jesus because we lived in a culture where most people knew about Jesus. But I think that's that's shifting to a, a large degree so that there's a lot of our neighbors, specifically where we live in the North Dallas area, where they they might come from a Hindu background. Mm-hmm. They might come from a, a, an Islamic background. They might come, they might be atheists. They might be agnostic. Maybe their parents or grandparents were churchgoers, but but they're not. And and so some of them have little to no understanding about Jesus. And I think you're right about the relationship where that that conversation about him can can be fostered. Yeah, that's a good point, and I'm not a Buddhist or Hindu scholar, but what I do know about Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, um, Buddhist Hindus and people of the Jewish faith are not actively involved in bringing people to their faith Mm -hmm. like Christians should be in bringing people to their faith. And, you know, if you go back to the Great Commission from Jesus, this sounds simple, but we get things out of order, we get the cart before the horse, Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples, Mm -hmm. then teach, then baptize, then teach some more. Mm -hmm. What we've done historically, not this is not a blanket statement, but in many areas, what we've done is go, baptize, teach, (laughs) hope they become disciples. Mm -hmm. Where Jesus says, no, you can't really teach until the discipling process begins, Mm -hmm. and you certainly shouldn't baptize until they've been taught something. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why so many people don't remain in churches, Mm -hmm. is because there's the initial conversation, there's the baptism, they're out the back door, and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Their life didn't change, their heart didn't change. And again, I'm not saying that in the, you know, just 100% of the time context, but that is often what happens. Churches talk about how many people they baptize, Mm -hmm. and then you ask them, well, where are they? And they hadn't seen them again. And that's because that discipling, getting to know Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, did not not happen first. Well, I think that's so important if we, if there's, there's, those are two different things sometimes, having as our goal baptizing someone and having as our goal making a disciple of someone mm-hmm. um, and or even really if you want to get real basic about it I think sometimes the goal needs to be tell that person about Jesus plant that seed 
Because even Jesus himself didn't insist that someone become his disciple. There were plenty of times where somebody suggested or offered themselves to be one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus turned them down because they right. weren't ready. They, they, they didn't have that commitment. And so I think sometimes the goal is just tell people about Jesus, offer to them discipleship, and if they're if they're in a position mentally, emotionally, spiritually, where they're ready to begin that journey, then we help them on that journey to to being disciples and and walk with them on a continual basis rather than just, well, my goal is to just get this person in the water. And so often, I mean, I've 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 probably participated in and I've seen Christians that have conducted evangelism kind of like not to not to badmouth either Christians or used car salesmen, but but to to sort of strong arm people, twist their arm into getting in the baptistry. And they're, they're really I've seen people that have been baptized just to kind of get somebody off yeah. their back. And that's mm-hmm. not evangelism. That's not sharing the good news with people, helping them fall in love with this this guy named Jesus, this king of the world, and and be convinced of that and then commit their entire self and life to following him and to be his student and his his follower. That's something totally different. That's a great point. I think about what Paul told the church at Corinth when he's writing 1 Corinthians. If you remember, he makes the statement, basically, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of right. you folks. And that's not because he's backing off the importance of baptism, mm-hmm. but he's making the point I want you to see Jesus. I don't want you to see Paul. Mm-hmm. And that's in that same context of, I don't want you to follow Apollos. I don't want you to follow Peter. Uh, Peter and Apollos and Paul were not crucified for you. Mm-hmm. And you weren't baptized in the name of Peter, Apollos, or Paul. You're baptized in the name of Jesus. And so I'm, I'm happy I didn't baptize any of you because in that context, it appears like they're missing Jesus for the baptism. Mm-hmm. And I love the, the used car salesman analogy. I mean, I come from a family of car salesmen, so I don't take any offense to it. But can you imagine, Wes, if you and Holly went to go buy a new car next week and you walked in on the showroom floor and the first thing the salesman said to you was, where do you want to sign the contract? Mm-hmm. Not, you want to take a test drive? Mm-hmm. Do you want to learn something about this car? Understand why this model may be better than other models? we kind of jump to getting people to sign the contract mm-hmm. before we give them a test drive of faith, yeah. let them experience what the church is about. Mm-hmm. We just want the final decision right away. Mm-hmm. And again, that's part of the problem. The, the baptism is not the final decision. Yeah. It's not the act. It's the beginning place. Yeah. But you can't begin without having a test drive. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we jump to the finish line, in our words, before we give them the opportunity to grow. Well, it's so funny. I literally just bought a car this last week, and I had wow. almost exactly that kind of a situation where I, it was a used car. And, Is that and, the one that's broke down on the parking lot? Yeah, the one that's broke yeah, down. Yeah. yeah, I got a tow truck coming. <laughs> um, but the, the, the guy, I had the, the sticker price, the price that they, they quoted me, the price that was online, and then I told him, hey, I, I like the car, taking it for a test drive. I, everything looks good. And then we sit down to do the paperwork and he's asking for my signature on, on his little paper so he can quote unquote, take it to his manager. And, and, and it's about at least $2,000, sometimes even more, depending on how many numbers they were throwing in there above what they were asking in the first place. And, and, and so there was all the, this, you know, fine print and all of these little tricks that they were trying to, to pull. And, and it was like, I feel like so often that that's how we approach evangelism and and sharing with people the good news about Jesus. Mm-hmm. We say, hey, you want to get baptized? All your sins are washed away. And then after they're baptized, we spring on them. Oh, and that means we expect you to do all of these things and mm-hmm. be this kind of a person. Jesus was 
way more upfront about mm-hmm. the cost of discipleship than sometimes we are. And he was willing to explain the cost of discipleship in, from the very beginning and say, yes, follow me and I'll give you life. Follow me and I'll give you forgiveness, but follow me and it's going to cost you your life. You're mm-hmm. going to have to sacrifice everything. And unless you you hate your mother and your father, your, your wife and your children, and even your own life, unless you love me so much more than these, that it looks like hatred, you you can't be my disciple. And and we're so afraid of running people off because again, I think we're motivated by, you know, getting notches on our belt, getting baptisms listed and 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 sort of counting the numbers that we don't encourage people to count the cost. Understand that this is this is gonna be your new life. Following Jesus mm-hmm. doesn't just mean forgiveness. It means surrendering your whole self to him. Yeah, what church would proudly say we would be okay with the number of baptisms going down if we knew commitment was going up. Wow. Yeah. But but that's that's the biblical model. Yeah. I'm less concerned with how many people do we get into the water every year mm-hmm. versus how many people are we able to at least have a conversation with about about Jesus. Yeah. Um and people don't understand the commitment. And another myth that you've kind of alluded to in all of this is that you have to have a study that you use. Mm-hmm. Um, in years gone by, you know, there have been many different uh, studies available, and some of them at, at that time served a very good purpose. Sure. I think that was in a time, like you talked about at the beginning, when people already had a fundamental understanding of who God was, who Jesus was, what churches taught for the most part. Mm-hmm and how there were differences in teachings between different churches. In today's world, in a post-Christian America, uh, people don't have that foundation. And so to begin with a study that already assumes they understand how the Bible is divided up, they understand you have the patriarchal period and the mosaical period and the Christian age, to them that's completely foreign. Mm -hmm. And you have to do, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but you have to do a little bit what... Uh, Philip did with the Ethiopian eunuch and find out where people are yes, and yes. tailor the study uh, to where people are versus mm-hmm. a five-session study or 12-session study, whatever it is, just assuming that every uh, situation will be the same situation. Last myth I want to mention you alluded to, you're perfectly um, describing it where we treat baptism like... Um, a sales commission, mm-hmm. and we're trying to meet our quota. Mm-hmm. I heard a gentleman say a few weeks ago, he said, I know so, a so-and-so preacher, he's averaging one a week, mm. um, where it sounded like he was going on a safari hunt, <laughs> or he was trying to close an insurance policy, mm-hmm. get a new client. Uh, I was in financial advising for a little while, and you know, all financial advisors know the goal is to set X number of appointments a week, because if you have X number of appointments statistics show you're going to close mm-hmm. 10% of those. So to have a high closing rate, you got to have as many appointments set up every week as possible. Evangelism is not that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's better to have one good conversation a month than to treat it. In fact, I, mean, I got to have 15 studies this week mm-hmm. hoping to close one. It, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, I think it's so good that we were putting this in the context of myths and, and misunderstandings about evangelism, because I think that that's what for so long we've done with evangelism is it's a program. 
it's a church program that we have, or it is a, a sort of a, a system that we give people, and here's the system, just walk them through the system as if we're telemarketers, mm-hmm. and we have this list of questions and answers that people are supposed to give, and we're, we're sort of tricking people into saying what we want them to say, so that with the end goal of getting them in the water, and I think what we're saying is evangelism really loving Jesus enough to obey what he's telling us to do, but also loving that person, Mm -hmm. loving them as a person and understanding, hey, they've got real questions. They've got real struggles. They have have things they're trying to figure out. And yeah, where they are now is not where we want them to be, but the best way to help them isn't to to walk them through sort of a cookie-cutter system. It's to, to love them, listen to them. And it may be, like you said earlier, you may be afraid that you're not going to have the answers to their questions. Tell them that. Mm-hmm. Love them enough to say, I don't know. Somebody mm-hmm. asked me last night after a Bible class about something. I said, that's a great question. I've wondered about that myself. I don't know. I don't have a good answer right. for you. Sometimes we're afraid to tell people that because we're afraid of looking dumb or looking foolish. But I think it it endears us to people when we say, I don't know, but that's a sure. great question you're asking. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, so let's kind of move on to to what Scripture says about evangelism, specifically because obviously this is a Bible study podcast. But but what are some of the passages of Scripture? You've alluded to some of them, maybe, but but that really shape your thinking about how we ought to think about evangelism and, and practice it. Sure, I put down five big ones that have kind of shaped my thinking on evangelism in recent years. I want to clarify in recent years because this was not always what I was taught or what I thought maybe 10 years ago, but I'd say within the last two or three years. Um, one that I just mentioned is Acts 8.35, when Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch have their conversation. Philip is providentially bought, brought to this man traveling home after he's been to worship, and I don't think it's an accident that Luke tells us when he records this story that you know the eunuch was reading out of Isaiah, mm-hmm. and he didn't understand it, and Philip according to the text, starts with Isaiah. He doesn't back away from Isaiah, Mm -hmm. but he eventually gets around to telling him the good news of Jesus. Well, most scholars think, and the Scripture alludes to it, that he's reading from Isaiah 53, which speaks of Jesus in prophetic terms. But I love two things there. One, Philip meets the eunuch where he is, what he was interested in, interested with at the time, that was Isaiah, but moves him beyond that and gets around to talking about the good news of Christ. And that's a great lesson for all of us, that if people are starting with questions of grief Mm -hmm. or starting of questions about family or uh, church leadership, whatever it is, begin where they're interested and then get around to the good news of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Tim Keller, not to interrupt you, but Tim Keller, I I love the way he talks about, have you ever heard him talk about A doctrines and mm -hmm, B doctrines? mm -hmm. I love that idea of there's, there's always in whatever culture we are and it, it, it changes Mm -hmm. based on the culture, but there are things on which Christians and non-Christians usually agree. He calls those A doctrines Mm -hmm. where we live in a culture now where loving your neighbor, most people would agree. That's a good thing. Now, not every culture has has practiced that sort of a thing, but for us, that's a that's an A doctrine. Now, loving your enemy, that might be a B doctrine, mm-hmm. or or uh, loving God, that might even be mm-hmm. a B doctrine. Something they don't agree on, but finding a way to 
to find that common ground and then build, like you're saying, build from there and go from where they already, where we already have some agreement, start there and then move to the place where, where they need to be in that, in that shift and conversion. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. He is. Keller has a lot of good things to say about a lot of, yeah. Yeah. About a lot of things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another one's first Peter three fifteen, where Peter says, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Um, you know, we used to use this terminology in financial advising world, but I think it does carry over as long as you keep it in context. The idea of the the elevator speech, mm. if you had 30 seconds with someone to tell someone why you're a Christian, know that speech. Mm. Don't make it come across, you know, cold and methodical and mechanical, but Wes, why are you a Christian? Mm. You know, you need to be able to tell someone that in a very quick amount of time before they turn you out. Mm-hmm. But I love what Peter says. You do this with gentleness and respect. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have their elevator speech, but they're jerks. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have to be gentle and respectful uh, toward other people. So that's another one. You may, ha- you may have this prepared to say later, but do you, do you have your... Your elevator speech? I have yours. I, I think it needs to be improved upon. So you you have mine. <laughs> your elevator speech. <laughs> yes, I have my elevator speech. We can get to that. In just yeah. a okay, you, okay. I, I, I <laughs> we'll, want to we'll get to it. that. Yeah, just fantastic. Acts eighteen twenty six is another one that has really shaped my thinking. That's where Aquila and Priscilla come across Apollos. Mm-hmm. You know, they compliment him for the skills that he has, but Luke tells us they bring Apollos into their home. And the power of teaching in the home, I don't think, can ever be uh, overemphasized. Okay, Acts twenty six eighteen. This is toward the end of um, our knowledge of what happens in the earthly life of Paul. But you remember he's on trial, and he stands before Felix and Festus and also Agrippa. And I love the question of King Agrippa when he says, Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And the reason that has impacted me is because it's a reminder that Christians have the ability, and I think God gives us the opportunities to influence all kinds of people, mm-hmm. even people of great power, mm-hmm. earthly power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something I'm passionate about, that I think Christians need to have more of a voice in the town squares, city squares of America on a national stage for what God's will is. And I just love the fact that Paul in chains is able to have enough of a conversation with a man of great political power Mm -hmm. for him to say, do you really think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Mm -hmm. Um, And can you imagine if Christians did have more of a voice in government, how many other people in positions of power would ask the same question today? Mm -hmm. Uh, One more, and I'll end with this one. Uh, Matthew 25, obviously, is the you know, the judgment scene that Jesus describes of the father separating the sheep and the goats. And he talks about a lot of things there about, did you feed me? Did you give me something to drink? Did you visit me? Did you clothe me? Mm-hmm. Um, they're confused in the story. They say, well, when did we when did we see you to mm-hmm. feed you, clothe you, visit you? And, you know, Jesus makes a statement, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's the only requirements that are expected in that chapter. One of the requirements is, did you talk to me about Jesus? Hmm. And uh, Wes, before our day, <laughs> you and I are very close, same age, but you know, churches used to sing the old hymn, you never mentioned him to me. Mm-hmm. What a sobering thought. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that there's people we pass every day that we don't take the time uh, to mention to them mm-hmm. the name of Jesus. And back to that analogy of Matthew 25, if even if we do clothe people and give them something to drink and give them something to eat, at the end of the day, if we never give them spiritual nourishment, mm-hmm. how much good have we really done? Now, I know it honors God through the provision of the basic necessities of life, but if we don't lead them to the bread of life, mm-hmm. they're never going to be fully nourished. Mm-hmm. And so that chapter also shapes my thinking about yeah. evangelism. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I, I think about all the things that we talk about, <laughs> and if you hang out with with someone for five minutes, if you if you have any sort of a conversation with anybody, mm-hmm. it's very easy to pick up on what is important to this person. For with very little room for error, I would say that if I had a conversation with somebody for an hour, I could almost tell you to to the T how that person votes. Mm-hmm. I can tell you where, what, where they like to go on vacation. I could tell you about the kind of socioeconomic range they're in. Mm-hmm. There's so much that I would know about a person from a one-hour conversation, probably even from a 30-minute or 15-minute right. conversation. And it's just amazing to me how we could have relationships with people that we work with, that we go to school with, our neighbors, we're on a committee with, whatever, and never talk about Jesus. And so... Sometimes it's not just, for me, it's not just the question, don't you love them enough to share with them about Jesus? It's, don't you love Jesus enough that you can't help but talk about him, that you're so full? When I read, for instance, when I read Ephesians, and I read the way that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus and what he encouraged them to realize about themselves. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. This is what you have in Christ Jesus. These are all the spiritual blessings that belong to you because you you belong to Jesus. When, When I read those things... I want to tell anybody, I'll tell a rock, if there's a rock that I can find that I can tell, I'm going to tell anybody and everybody about how awesome this is, not only that I get to have this, but that they do. I was thinking about Paul's response to Agrippa. He says, when Agrippa says, you know, do you think you can persuade me in such a short time? He says, whether short time or long time, I want all of you to be what I am, except Mm -hmm. for these chains. Except for the chains. I, I want you to have what I have. And it it just goes to to show that we talk about what we care about. We talk about what we're excited about. If we if we're excited about following Jesus and having what He's giving us, then we'll probably end up talking about Him. Yeah, and the words we choose to describe people. I heard a preacher recently say we've stopped referring to individuals as lost, mm. rather unchurched or um, people who are seekers. He says the biblical term for these people is lost. Mm. And he used the analogy, it's a great analogy, he says the only things you lose are the things that have value to you. So, you know, you're not real concerned if you misplaced a pen or a pencil. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're very concerned if you lost your wallet Mm. or if you lost your car keys, Mm. and you're going to go find your car keys. You're going to go find your wallet. For my context, if I lose a golf club or if I lose, you know, something that really matters to me, I'm going to search hard to find it. The things that you don't care about, you don't search that hard mm-hmm. to find. And we've got to change our thinking that people aren't just unchurched. They are, they're lost. Mm-hmm. And we have to go find them. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, that's a great way to describe the conversation between Agrippa and Paul. Back to elevator speech thing. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah. what you just said, uh, you said it better than than I ever will, but that that's my elevator speech, mm. is I want you to have what God's given me. Yeah. Right? You know, without him, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. Without him, I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. Without him, life's not worth living. Mm-hmm. But Jesus makes all of that worth it. Yeah. That's the elevator speech. I love it. I love it. And and I always tell people, this isn't necessarily an elevator speech, but I always tell people, especially if somebody's skeptical, you know, why is it that you mm-hmm. believe in Jesus? I always tell people that I'm a Christian for two reasons. One, because the the resurrection of Jesus makes makes what the apostles did make sense. And nothing else explains mm-hmm. what they did better than this must be true. Mm-hmm. The resurrection of Jesus must be true. So I'm a Christian because of the resurrection, and I'm a Christian because no other worldview or perspective puts as much value on human beings as does Christianity. Mm-hmm. Christianity confirms my suspicion that human beings really are of infinite worth. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that, that that those types of things and finding ways, because I think every single person, even an atheist, let's say somebody is is an unbeliever, maybe they, they used to, you know, they used to believe or their parents believed, or maybe they they've just never been in a in a in a uh, church context ever. Um, and so they are totally a secular person. Their worldview says that human beings are just evolve pond scum. I mean, right. they, they somehow <clears throat> this one celled organism became more complex until eventually they were human beings. So their <clears throat> worldview says human beings don't matter in the grand scheme of things. They're not really worth anything, but nobody actually lives like that. Atheists don't live like that. They treat their spouse. They treat their kids. They treat their neighbor. They treat people they don't know like they're valuable. Why? Well, I believe it's because whether they believe it or not, or understand it or not, they're made in God's image, and there is something inside of them that tells them that other human beings really are valuable. They really do matter, and nothing explains that better than Christianity. Mm-hmm. Other religions don't. Even even modern Judaism doesn't explain the value and worth of mm-hmm. every human being the way that Christianity does. Mm-hmm. Islam doesn't. Buddhism doesn't. Mm-hmm. Hinduism doesn't. Only Christianity says human beings are so valuable that the second person of the Godhead would die to save every single one of them, all of those who would believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. And and I yeah. think, again, starting where people are with those sort of natural inclinations that they have towards, why do I think human beings matter? And Christianity, above all things, all worldviews, explains exactly why we feel that way. Right, right. So let's let's talk about um, th- this this question that sort of bothers me sometimes when we talk about evangelism because as a preacher I I always try to encourage people hey teach your neighbor teach your neighbor teach your kids teach your teach your coworkers teach your classmates about Jesus but then I think maybe there's a a question that I tend to ask myself and it's from James three. And James says, not many of you should suppose yourself to be teachers. So how do we balance that idea and the reality, too, that not everybody is a teacher? Not everybody has sort of the same giftedness or ability to teach like someone else. You and I have devoted our life to teaching, 
but not everybody has the same skill set and maybe not everybody should assume that they have that sort of skill set. So how do we balance everybody should be involved in evangelism and not everybody should be a teacher? It's a great question. I think the assumption from James chapter 3, verse 1, is that James is referring to those who would devote their lives to teaching mm-hmm. as you and I have done. Um, and that's echoed in what Paul tells Timothy. Obviously, he's going to be there ministering to the church at Ephesus so many times throughout that uh, writing of First Timothy and Second Timothy. Paul will say, watch your doctrine and your life mm-hmm. carefully. Because what you say to people will affect their salvation, regardless if they realize it or not. Study to show yourself approved, Mm -hmm. a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who who correctly handles the word of truth. It's interesting, when Jesus will heal someone in his ministry, and when he will tell them, go and tell them what the Lord has done for you, he does not say, but when you go, watch your doctrine carefully and, you know, study to show thyself approved. He wants them to understand in that moment, you're going to bring them to me by the excitement and passion and the evidence of a changed life mm. that you present. So I think when James mentions that in James 3.1, he's thinking more of the public teacher who will mm. be teaching to several people at once mm. that they will view as a source of spiritual authority. That is different than getting every member of the church engaged in talking to others about their faith, Mm -hmm. the accountant, the insurance agent, the school teacher, the fireman, whatever, the nurse, whatever they may do at your place of work with those in your immediate sphere of influence, they not only need to realize that you're a Christian, but they need to know why Mm -hmm. and why you think they, they should be. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't take a lot of doctrine. Mm Mm-hmm. That doesn't take a lot of sermon preparation or even biblical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Again, that takes the evidence of a transformed life mm-hmm. and someone who's passionate about the fact that their life has been changed. Yeah, I, I think that's so well said. And and I think that that takes so much... I think even going back to the first question about myths and misunderstandings, I think so often we framed it as if y- you personally... Bob or Sue or whomever, you are the one who is responsible for go find a lost person and teach them about Jesus, baptize them, Mm -hmm. keep teaching them, keep discipling them. And I just don't know that that's the model we see played out in Scripture, nor does it resonate with most of us about how we became Christians in the first place. I was teaching a class here a few weeks ago on evangelism, and I, I kind of went around the classroom and I said, how did you get to this point in your life? You're a disciple, you're committed, you're here on a Wednesday night, <laughs> you, you, you've, you've spent several years, most of you, following Jesus. How did you get to this point? Who influenced you? Well, you know, my wife, my husband, um, I, this preacher that I knew one time, there was always a long list mm-hmm. of the people that had been involved in their life. Sometimes it was somebody who really didn't say a lot to them. It was just the example that they saw. And then they had someone else in their life who really taught them. And then it was always a group of people in their life that helped them get to where they are spiritually. And I think that's true for almost everybody that I know. I've never known anybody who said, well, I've really only known one Christian, and they taught me everything I know, and I don't know anything except what they taught me. We're all influenced by a lot of people. And so my conclusion to the class was, now go do for other people 
what someone else in your life did for you. Go be that person. You can't be all of those people to them, but you can be one of those people to them. And so often we don't do anything because we're afraid we're going to have to do everything. That's such a great point. And think about there's only in the way that the New Testament describes the church and faith and mission, all of it, there's only one being who is ever the only one with ultimate authority mm-hmm. and influence. That's Jesus yeah. as the head of the church. Think about how God has designed the leadership of the church. He doesn't want just one elder. He wants a plurality of elders. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want one lead head pastor who calls all the shots. He wants more of a checks and balances form of leadership. Churches are autonomous. Mm-hmm. You know, what you do here at McDermott Road is McDermott Road's business. What we do at Preston Crest is Preston Crest business. You can't tell us what to do. We can't tell you what to do. We're all in it together. Mm-hmm. And that's the metaphor of 1 Corinthians 12. We are the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So the process of evangelism and discipleship should work the same way. Whereas if the only thing you know about Jesus is tied up in one person's influence when either A, that person dies, or B, that person falls yeah. and makes a mistake, it totally rocks your understanding of God and of and of faith. Yeah. That's the problem with a lot of churches, when uh, everything they know about the Lord is defined by the one minister who speaks yeah. to them on Sunday. When that minister leaves, that church craters. Yeah. They don't know how to function without him. And that's an unhealthy form of leadership, and I think what you're describing is also an unhealthy form of evangelism. If everything you believe is because of just one person, Mm -hmm. it takes a village, Mm -hmm. and that's why the church is such a beautiful, beautiful family. Well, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about 1 Corinthians. Paul's, the first three chapters of that book are dealing with people that are obsessed with Mm -hmm. certain teachers, and they're followers of certain teachers. And Paul makes the point that that it's not any one of us. Not, none of us were crucified for you. You weren't baptized in our name. He says, I planted and Apollos watered, but it's God that gives mm-hmm. the increase. Mm-hmm. And, and that's true for us too. Everybody, only, every body, every human body only needs one mouth, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but it needs 10 fingers. It needs mm-hmm. 10 toes. It needs an appendix. It needs all of these parts to make it work and accomplish its mission. And, and so we don't all have to be a mouth. We all don't have to be seed planters. We can be seed waterers. We all have a role to play, and we need to be involved in that in some way. But we're doing evangelism, and I wish we would really embrace that idea that we do evangelism as a church family, and and we do it as a team, and we don't put expectations on one another to be what we're not. And Paul, as you said, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, this body metaphor, he says, if the whole body was a nose or if the whole body was an ear, then then it wouldn't be able to function the way that it's supposed to. And I think that people could embrace their role in evangelism if they realize, oh, I don't have to be Jacob. I don't have to be an elder. I don't have to be a Bible class teacher. I don't have to present a sermon. I don't have to have all of the answers to all of these questions. I just need to love my neighbor and tell them how much I love Jesus and the difference that he's made in my life. Yeah, and so many preachers aren't really that effective in one-on-one conversations because they're they're used to talking to large crowds. Mm-hmm. At Preston Crest, one of our ministers, Bob Chisholm, um, he spent a lot of years in the pulpit, but he just does spiritual formation now, and he leads our small group ministry and has spiritual formation groups that 
meet all throughout the week. Bob is a master at working with groups of five, six, or seven. That's where he really, really thrives. And that's what he's passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a a great point. If you ask just someone who isn't used to teaching publicly, hey, I need you to lead someone through an entire study of the Bible and baptize them, they're not even going to try. But if you ask them, hey, I need you just to begin to be a good influence, Mm -hmm. maybe invite them Mm -hmm. to a Bible class, or just remind them frequently Mm -hmm. how God's changed your life. They can do that. Yeah. They can do that. And, and, and there's so much that, that I wish people would understand that what we do, what I do or what you do or what Bob does or what Sue does, it all affects what the others are doing or trying Mm -hmm. to do. And, and so if one person you said earlier, acts like a jerk. You know, if if one person is acting like a jerk, then it makes it harder. Not only are they not being an effective evangelist, but they're actually making evangelism hard for the whole, for the group. And so sometimes, sometimes, yes, I I wish all Christians would would actually share their faith with others, but sometimes the, what one person could do right now to, to be a better part of the evangelism whole is to stop being a jerk. <laughs> if that person stops being a jerk, the rest of the church is going to be able to be more effective at evangelism. And so the, all of these pieces of the puzzle, all of these body parts, when they're working together in harmony mm-hmm. and unity to to accomplish the same mission mm-hmm. of, of telling the world about Jesus, we can't make everyone be a follower of Jesus, but we can represent Jesus well. We can right. share the story of Jesus right. well. 2023 New Year's resolution. Don't be a jerk. Right. Yes. If, you, if you pull that one thing off this year, you've killed it. Don't Absolutely. Be, don't be a jerk. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, speaking of 2023, I, I don't want to, to go too long without, uh, let's talk about the workshop at Preston Crest. So what can you tell us about that, especially for people that are close enough where they could attend? Yeah, well, first, I just want to thank the Preston Crest elders for agreeing to do this. I brought this uh, idea to their attention back in April of this past year, 2022, and they said, yeah, let's do it. So we've been working on it since about June of 2022, but February 3rd through 5th, 2023, uh, we're having a conference called Telling the Story, and it's kind of what we've talked about today, is just telling the story of Jesus, what Jesus has done in your life. There are 30 different classes that will meet that Saturday. Uh, You're one of the teachers. You're teaching on sanctified living, I believe, is the title, but there are six different tracks of study, ranging from redemption and salvation to first principles to ladies ministry to family ministry equipping the church and shining shining your light there's five classes under each track so we want people to pick what they're passionate about like in our ladies ministry uh one of the classes is called ministering in the carpool line so obviously this is for moms with children in school how do you get to know other moms and have conversations with them about faith uh there's another one called your children are your um, mission field mm-hmm. and your grandchildren. Like, you know, well, mom say, well, I can't lead people to Jesus right now because I'm focused on my kids. This class reminds you that's what you're supposed to be doing, right? right? And they are your mission field. Mm-hmm. So it's an encouragement for moms and ladies in that regard. Um, different classes about how to teach others about baptism, kind of what we've been talking about today, a holistic picture of baptism mm-hmm. uh, to kind of the history of the church. If you want to know more about that, um, discipleship, spiritual disciplines, 30 different options. It's completely free. Child care is provided if you register and request child care. Uh, Babes is going to cater it Saturday evening, Babes Chicken. So Mm -hmm. 
that'll I've be del- that'll be delicious. And then it will end on Sunday uh, during our normal worship hours at Preston Crest. Dr. Bruce McClarty, former president of Harding, mm-hmm. will be preaching that morning. That's always real special to have Dr. McClarty in the house. So it's going to be a great weekend. Uh, we put a lot of effort into it, and it's totally free. Fantastic. And when churches hear about it, they say, man, we need to talk more about evangelism. Well, mm-hmm. here's your chance. Come and be with us. And the dates one more time? February 3rd through the 5th, 2023. If you go to org backslash story, mm. it has the entire schedule of the conference, bios about all the teachers, and probably more answers to questions that people have that I haven't addressed here today. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to attending it, and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to being there, and I hope that somebody listening might take the time to, to check that out and, and come be with yeah, us. Yeah, we would love to have you. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Jacob, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you, brother. All right. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.